this is an ancient text from Joshua. Uh, the context is the people have left Egypt. Uh, Moses has died, and they have some decisions to make about their future. Let's share in God's good word together. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Mayday, mayday, mayday. This is Cactus 1549. Hit birds. We've lost thrust on both engines. We are turning back towards the guardian. Which engine did you lose? Both, both engines. Ignition. Ignition. Thrust levers confirm. Idle. Idle. Cactus 1549, if we can get a few, do you want to try to land runway 13? We are unable. We may end up in the Hudson. That's going to be left traffic, runway 31. Unable. Okay, what do you need to land? No relight after 30 seconds in your master one and two, confirm off. Too low off. terrain. Too low terrain. Too low terrain. Too low terrain. This is the captain. Brace for impact. January 15th, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549, taking off from New York City's LaGuardia Airport, struck a flock of Canada geese at low altitude. Pilot Sully Sullenberger and Jeffrey Skiles glided the plane to a ditching in the Hudson River off Midtown Manhattan. Imagine. Both engines gone, you've just taken off, there's no place to land, and you have 155 souls aboard. After thousands and thousands and thousands of flights, after year after year, after 40 years of taking care of passengers and getting people where they want to be, your entire life is going to be judged by 208 seconds. That moment. Nobody knew of him prior wasn't on the news, but many of you know of him now. And maybe you've even seen the movie about Sully. All 155 people aboard were rescued by nearby boats, and it came to be known as the miracle on the Hudson. You see, friends, there are these moments in our lives where a decision must be made. It cannot be put off till tomorrow. It cannot be put off until the afternoon. A time comes where it is time. It is time. And over the last four weeks, we have been building to this time where we have a decision to make about who this day we will choose. What will we choose to serve in our life? Where do we invest? Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our mental energy? What do we think about? What do we do? Today is a day and the time for us to take a step. Will you say that with me? Take a step. The, the first step uh, often can be the scariest uh, or the hardest, but it is a day that you have to take a step. And so, uh, to catch those of you up who may not have been with us all four weeks, uh, the first week we looked at uh, the first step, and that is, if you remember it, say with me, be grateful, grateful. Thankfulness is a powerful thing in our life. And friends, I would remind you that all these steps are for our God It's not uh, and for our good. It's not something that God needs. It's something that we need. We remember together that thankfulness and gratitude make us happy it's not the other way around there are lots of things that could make you happy um, but doesn't necessarily make you grateful it is true that when you're grateful um, we become happy 
Um, there's all sorts of studies around that. Uh, grateful people have lower blood pressure. Grateful people have less sickness. Grateful people sleep better. Grateful people in their teenage years make better grades and are less depressed. Being grateful is a powerful powerful thing and if you haven't done this or you haven't gotten into this um, sort of practice i invite you tonight before your head hits the pillow to simply write down three things you're grateful for in that day you'll be amazed at how much better you feel the next morning just from as your head hits the pillow being reminded of things that you're grateful for that day uh, the second week uh, andy took us through what it is to be faithful and and he reminded us that faithfulness is not the same as belief even the demons believe that's not a big deal faithfulness is about trust it's about actually trusting christ to take care of you doing what christ leads you to do and being faithful in that last week uh, the only way to learn about how to be faithful is to be what prayerful right we have to actually listen and talk to god this is how we do this we're prayerful we listen to the lord but after we live lives of gratitude and we're being faithful and we're listening at some point you actually have to take a step the time for talking is over the time for considering is over the time for the um, analysis paralysis is over you all, you all do that in your work you do that in your homes you, you start working on a project and before you know it you're not five minutes in and you think i can't do anything i've analyzed this from top to bottom and i am stuck i can't move because i've analyzed it to death so today i want to invite you with all these other things in place to take a step because I think this is true, in every life, a moment comes where indecision is no longer an option. Right? I, I love this quote. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Right? There, there comes a point in your life where you've got to decide. And indecision is no longer an option. Now, so that you don't hear what I'm not saying, I am not saying that if you take a step and you make a decision for Christ, that everybody else in your world is going to stand up and applaud you and, and, and give you a parade. I'm not saying that. And, and Sully Sullenberger saved his life, uh, blessed his family and friends, and saved the lives of 155 people on board. But even in that moment, other people who looked from the outside second-guessed him. Let's take a look. Today we begin with our operation and human performance investigation on the crash of U.S. Airways Flight 1549. Water landing. Captain? This was not a crash and it wasn't a ditching. We knew what we were trying to execute here. It was not a, it's not a crash. It was a forced water landing. Why didn't you attempt to return to LaGuardia? There simply was not enough altitude. The Hudson was the only place that was long enough and smooth enough and wide enough to even attempt to land the airplane safely. Air traffic testified that you stated you were returning to LaGuardia, but you did not. I realized I couldn't make it back, and it would have eliminated all the other options. Returning to LaGuardia would have been a mistake. Okay, well, let's get into how you calculated all those parameters. There was no time for calculating. I had to rely on my experience of managing the altitude and speed of thousands of flights over four decades. You're saying you didn't do anything? I eyeballed it. You eyeballed. Yes. There's a lot of power in that scene for me. Because what I find are the people that follow Christ well, people that I see that change the world, are people who over time, over thousands of days, over thousands of little decisions, have come to the point when it matters most, when the decision has to be made, they can make it. Because they've made that decision time and time and time again. When they mowed a lawn for $10, they gave a dollar to Christ. 
and it just became a part of their, their life. When they saw a person in need, they helped them because that was their character. That's who they learned. As, as the people of Acts 2, when they saw a need, they addressed it. When we had uh, people that were starving and cold in Syria, we give them um, stoves so that they can survive the winter. When we see people in Guatemala who have no clean drinking water and their children are dying of diarrhea, we give them a well. We go and we make a difference. We transform the world because a decision has to be made. But it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We can't sit down and spend the next five years making a calculation about who needs what. At some point, we have to decide, having lived the life that Christ calls us to, to act. To act. But every action requires a denial to someone else. Every solitude, every moment in prayer alone with Christ is a moment that you're not spending with someone else. Isn't that true? Every moment you spend at work is a moment you're not spending with family. Every moment you're spending with family is a, a moment you're not doing something else. Every moment that you go and work out is a, is a moment you're not doing something else. There are choices to be made. It's always been this way. No one is exempt from this reality as much as we might want to think otherwise. So Joshua, as they look at the promised land, he looks to the people, they are panicked, and he says to them, put away the gods of your ancestors that they served and serve the Lord. Now, friends, this is a difference between what you and I have. We can say, well, we want to serve the Lord or we want to serve the laws that we create in a democracy. That's not their case. These are people who have been enslaved for 400 years under harsh masters in Egypt and now they have a choice whether they're going to go back there or they're going to trust Joshua, formerly Moses, but now Joshua, with their very safety, protection, and ability to move forward. That's their choice. They're not taking a vote and electing someone. They have a choice. Who are we going to serve? And, and I would submit to you that we have that same choice. So for them, they had to choose who they were going to serve. And you and I also have to choose who we are going to serve. And so the question is not, do we have idols? We all do. Let's just go ahead and get that off the table. We don't have to pretend that, that we don't, because we do. We all do. The question for us is, how do you find out what those are, and what do you do about it? Paul, when he writes thousands of years later to the early church in Rome, he says that, to the Christians there, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, for their foolish hearts were darkened. And they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Now, this is important because a lot of times when we think about idols or idol worship, people think about a little statue. That's not what this is about. Other people think, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm not a devil worshiper. I don't do really mean things to people. That's not what we're talking about. What are we talking about? The questions are, how do we discern our idols? Because we all have them. And what do we do about them? So, Timothy Keller in his uh, book, Counterfeit Gods, I recommend it to you. He asks a, a few questions, and I will ask them to us today. Uh, everybody's answer is going to be a little different. So, uh, you don't get to cheat off your neighbor on this one. This is going to be unique to you. So, ask yourself this question. What do I think about when I am alone? What do you think about when you're alone? When you find yourself at home for an hour or two, all by yourself, you know nobody else is coming home, what does that time look like for you? What does that time look like for you? What do you do in your imagination? What do you daydream about? For many of us, that is your God. Whatever that is, 
And it can be something very important like your 401k, your investments. It could be your business. When you're at home alone, you're still thinking about work. That's just how you're wired. That's what you do. Others of you are worried about your kids. Is work bad? No. Are your kids bad? I have no idea. Don't tell me. But whatever you think about, whatever you're imagining about, that's where your heart is. The question is, is it even remotely connected to Jesus? It's an important question if we say he's our Lord and Master and Savior. A second way, this will not surprise you today, to discern your heart's true love is to look at how you spend your, say it with me, money. Right? If you want to know what you really love, look at the way you spend your money. I will speak for myself. The way I spent my money before I met Chantel is very different than the way I've spent my money after meeting Chantel. Right? Isn't that true? When you fall in love, when you get married, when you have children, aren't the very things that you spend money on changed dramatically? And no one says, oh, no. But uh, you know what I find? Are guys that spend their money exactly the same way before marriage, after they're married, are not married. Much longer. Isn't that true? Right? If you, if you acted the exact same way before marriage that you did after marriage, you're not going to stay married very long. It has to do with our hearts. And Jesus knew this. He, he said this not as something, to, as, as something we need to do. He's talking about it as an axiom, something that absolutely is. It's axiomatic that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Will you say that with me? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Who said that? Jesus. And who is Jesus? I would submit to you that he is the smartest man that ever lived. He had the very wisdom of God because he was God himself. And if Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You think that's true? It's true, friends. It's true. I'll speak for myself. Three, four years ago, I did not care one thing about Wichita State University. Never thought of it. Every once in a while, I'd see them in the College World Series, or I'd see them, you know, in a Final Four in basketball. I think, huh, isn't that a cute little school? Oh, just good for them. I mean, I'm an O-State guy. I mean, I'm, I'm used to, you know, big sports, you know, Big 12 sports, A&M, OU, all that kind of big stuff. That's what I was used to. And I, oh, cute little WSU. But last year, on this same weekend, uh, we took my son Noah up there, and they did this deal. They, they gave him his own parking spot for Noah Foster, prospective shockers. And, and he thought that was really cool. We thought that was pretty cool. Like, that's good hospitality. And then, uh, last a uh, few months ago, uh, Chantel and I uh, wrote a check uh, for almost $9,000 for tuition for that school. Do you know I'm very concerned about what happens at Wichita State University? <laughs> for the first time in my life, I care about how he's doing, what he's taking, how they spend their money. I follow them on Instagram, on social media. Uh, I drive up there uh, monthly. Uh, I look at things. I see what's going on. I care deeply about it. You, you see how this works? Friends, I'm betting you, if next time you write a $9,000 check, you're going to pay attention to whatever you wrote that to. Right? That's how it is. It's simply axiomatic. So Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, your money flows most effortlessly toward your heart's greatest love. You know, it's not hard to spend money on people that you love. You're happy to do it. In fact, the mark of an idol is that you spend too much money on it. And you must try to exercise self-control constantly. So if you look at your checkbook, 
or you look at your credit card statement and you find yourself doing this, I had no idea I spent that much money over there. Perhaps. That's something you might want to look at. For those of us who are a little more religious, let's, let's bring it you know, back into the church house. How do I respond to unanswered prayers and frustrated hopes? This is a good question. Now, for all of us, um, when we pray for something and it doesn't happen, um, we can be disappointed. There's nothing wrong with that. God understands that. But if the way God responds to our prayers and our hopes are deal breakers for us, then God's not your God. Whatever you're praying about is your God. Make sense? You see, we all pray, and sometimes it goes our way, and sometimes it doesn't. But if this is like, no, 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 this has to go my way, really all we're doing is getting God on our team to serve the other God that we're really wanting. Our question is, do we really love God, who is God, and leave God with the results, or are we worshiping something else and trying to get God to get us that result? That's an idol. Uh, Pastor Andy uh, said it really well this week. He says, prayer is a means to God, not a means to get what we want. Amen? Isn't that true? That's who God is. Prayer is a means to God, to listen to what God wants, not to get God to do what we want. Uh, And then fourth, has something or someone besides Jesus taken title to your heart's trust, your preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, delight? And if we're not careful, this is true for all of us. From time to time, we're more concerned about our job than we are Jesus. We're more concerned about our child's health than we are Jesus. We're more concerned about our family than Jesus. We're more concerned about what's going to happen on Thursday with our in-laws than Jesus. And we're praying like the devil. Oh, you help us around the Thanksgiving table. Right? Well, give thanks on Thanksgiving and maybe it'll get a little better. But we have to understand that this is about our heart. It's about our heart. So Joshua says to his people, now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, and and he's not being mean-spirited about this, he's just saying, you have to choose. He's talking about the cost of non-discipleship. In church, you hear a lot about the cost of discipleship, what it costs to follow Jesus, and of course, that's good. But have you ever considered the cost of worshiping alcohol and cirrhosis of your liver and the money that it costs, and all the rest. I mean, you just gotta, you got to choose which other idol you're really going to serve. And what does it give to you? Are you, going to, are you going to bow down to work? You know, when I do funerals for people, unfortunately because we're a young church, I don't do too many of them. From time to time, I see a few co-workers at the funeral. But not many. I mean, when when you're dead and gone, the people that show up to your funeral usually are your family and some friends. And and if we were at a different church, all the old church ladies that are making you lunch, right? I I mean, you know a lot about a person by who shows up at their funeral. You know how they spent their life. So think soberly about who you're really gonna serve. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. We all have to, whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. Now, I wasn't there, but I can tell you this. Having served the Lord for more than 20 years of my life, almost half my life, 
in an official capacity, United Methodist pastor, 18 of them here. It's a great life, friend. It's not a hard, miserable life. This morning, I woke up barely at 50. I'm half a hundred. It's amazing. I actually had to get up in the middle of the night and turn off my phone because it was beeping at me starting at about 3 in the morning because people from all over the world were sending me private messages on Facebook saying, Happy birthday, Pastor Mark, from Turkey. Happy birthday, Pastor Mark, from Michigan. Happy birthday, Pastor Mark, from New Jersey. Happy birthday, Pastor Mark, from Texas. Happy birthday, Pastor Mark, from... I have people all around the world who bless me and love me and care for me. The Lord's done all of that. It's a beautiful way to live, friends. When you put God first and you let whatever happens happen. It's a beautiful way to live. It's a beautiful way to live. I recommend it to you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Chantel and I, uh, you may or may not know this, but when we started the church, uh, we, I grew up tithing my whole life. But when we started Acts 2, we knew there was going to take a little more than just a regular way of doing church to, to buy the land, to build the building, to build this building, to do what the Lord's calling us to do. And, and while it, it's, not a, it's not a huge leap, it was important for us and, and, and really hard for us because we made $35,000 a year when we started. We, we thought that God was calling us to give 11% of our income from day one. And we have. Every month, it's the first check. Actually, it's, it's, we don't even write it. It just comes right out of our bank account. Jeff just takes it. No, I mean, no, we, we set it up. But we don't, we don't think about it. it. It comes out first, and we live off the rest. And so we want you to know that from the day we started the church, February 1st, 1999, to this day, We've given either 11% or more to the ministries of this church every month of our life, every paycheck. And we find it to be joyful, the best thing that we do. We drive up here. I don't know if you've ever driven by at night. It is a beautiful place. We have people send us messages and letters. We drove by your place. It's so beautiful. Look what God has done. But friends, make no mistake, we must choose. And life is on the other side of that choice. Life's on the other side. There were plenty of times that things were tight. We didn't know whether we would have enough kid, uh, money to send our kids to preschool. And somehow the Lord made it happen. And we sit here today. And we're thankful for everybody. So you know what the people said to Joshua? Well, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. We will serve the Lord with you. For he's our God too. We're going to do it. So you might ask yourself, well, how? how? How does this work? How do you move from the things of the world to the things of God? Paul writes to the early church in Colossae. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are where? Above, where Christ is. Turn your mind there. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are, say it with me again, above. Not on things that are on earth, for you have died. Remember, friends, our life is over when we accept Christ. Now it's him that lives in us. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. We have nothing to worry about anymore. So, friends, say this with me. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Because the stuff on earth goes away. It just goes away. So the way we live this out as people of faith, your action steps are these. One, rejoice in God. That's why we gather. That's what worship's about. Did you know that? It's not about you. It's about God. We come to rejoice in God, to say thank you to God. It changes us when we do that. 
And the second thing is, as we do that, if, if we're being honest and open with ourselves and true, we find that there are still parts in all of us, myself included, that are not fully following Jesus. We have these little idols that pop up in our life. And the more we worship them, the more miserable we become. I'm finally getting free of my football idol. With every loss, it gets easier. <laughs> right? Right? So we repent by turning our hearts to Jesus. Right? But make no mistake, friends. Repentance without rejoicing leads to despair. We're not talking about just doing duty and being miserable so-and-sos for Jesus. That's terrible. That's a terrible witness. No, we rejoice and repent. But the, the other is also very tricky. And, and, I, and I, I really don't want to say this to you, but it's important that I say this to you because I have a pastoral responsibility and a responsibility before Christ to tell you the truth. And the truth is this. It's also possible that you come in here, you raise your hands, you sing the songs, and you never commit. And that's fake. It's not okay. And somebody's got to tell you. It's not. It's not okay to pretend. It's not what we're about here. We're about following Jesus. And if you want to follow him, you got to pick up your cross and follow him. you got to invest in what he's about. you got to do the things that he's about. It's not just about saying nice things. Now, before I step on somebody's toes and I don't know who might be, I get really leery when I see folks on Facebook go, my husband is so great, he's so wonderful, he's so wonderful, or, or my wife, she's the best, da, 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 da. I'm like, what is going on in your household that you got to tell the whole world that stuff? Right? Doesn't that not, not ring true to you? You're like, what's he doing? What, what's she doing? What, what's going on there? Because, right, our lives ought to simply bear out the fruit of our life. We don't need to give it lip service, and we don't need to give Jesus lip service. We need to follow him. We need to follow him. So, the way you do this, to rejoice and to take that step and to, and to be real about it, to repent, is to take a financial step, all of us. And if you're scared about it, I get it. I get it. But God will take care of you. I promise. And the church is here to help as well. So I invite Dr. Kyle Kanister up. He's our finance chair. Uh, please welcome him. He does such a wonderful job for us. Thank you, Kyle. Well, I am uh, not a natural gifted speaker here. So if you see a little bit of tremor in my hand, um, that's why I'm a little nervous up here. Please don't feel bad for my patience. It doesn't happen in the OR, okay? I'm much more steady there. Okay. So. Uh, I was raised in the church, uh, but suffered an event in my teenage years that I allowed to distance me from God, and so I didn't return to the church until after I was married. My wife was raised in the Methodist church, so it was pretty obvious we were going to start going to Methodist churches. Uh, in 2002, we graduated uh, from medical school and moved up here to start our residencies. Um, we found Acts 2 in 2003 and started attending regularly. Through several conversations with Mark and several experiences at the church, I was able to start opening my mind to God's plan again. So we joined the church, and in doing so, tithing was just part of the deal. Uh, it felt like a biblical requirement, and there wasn't a lot of an emotional component to that. It was just, you know, the 10% every month. Although it was difficult because we weren't making very much money. We were certainly below the average here in Edmond, and we had college loans, medical school loans, and a new mortgage. 
but over time, it was an easily developed habit uh, as just kind of a simple legalistic perspective. In 2005, Shannon was promoted to chief resident um, with a decent raise and became my sugar mama. <laughs> that continued to increase as she completed her residency in 2006, and in 2008, I was finally able to graduate from my residency. We were both employed by local hospitals, and our income um, more than doubled, um, and it was pretty easy to fulfill the tithe even though it was a much larger amount we were giving to the church because we had established that habit already. That went well for us because for me, it became a little more emotional. I could see that what the church was doing, uh, how much benefit there was there, and writing those bigger checks made me feel like I was more a part of it. Then in 2013, I shifted to private practice and my income fell dramatically. So at that point, because my gifts had increased, and I was more concerned with what the church was doing, um, I started to feel bad about that because I wasn't able to keep giving at that same level. And I know that Jeff felt really bad about it. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't annoyed, of course. And uh, it allowed me to have a little humility, too, because I could see that the ministry of the church was thriving. The faithful members of Acts 2 were able to make an increasing impact on the world. So that showed me that it wasn't up to me, and it certainly was not all about me. Over the next year, our income rebounded a bit, and we were start, we able to start giving more and more. But I was in private practice now. I was not on salary. And so I couldn't predict exactly what I would be making every month because that was dependent on the number of patients I would see in the clinic or the number of surgeries I would perform. And because I couldn't predict that, I didn't want to turn in pledge cards because I felt it was a pledge card, and if I wasn't able to make that commitment, that I wasn't upholding my deal, my part of the bargain. Well, Shannon figured that out, that I wasn't doing that. And being raised a preacher's daughter, she knew that the annual mission plan uh, of the church was very difficult to predict if the church had no idea what kind of gifts it would be receiving in the year. So she set me straight, and I started filling out the pledge cards. But then in 2015, the number of ENT surgeons in the area doubled, or sorry, increased by about 20%, which allowed the volume all of us were seeing in patient numbers to reduce significantly. Again, reducing our income significantly. And in 2016, I didn't make the pledge. I didn't get to the number that we had pledged. Um, and so I talked to Jeff about it, and he helped me realize, you know, letting the actual number drop while maintaining your tithe is okay. You're still upholding your part of the bargain if you're able to do that. So in 2017, I turned in a new pledge card. It was still stressful about it. And then when we started going through the series, I could sense my thinking about this changing. I was no longer considering tithing as a biblical requirement, but instead a reflection of a gratefulness to God for his gifts to us. And that, that was very helpful for me, of course. This series has also shown me that there's a balance between financial service and physical service to the church. That balance may shift with the ups and downs of a family's or an individual's life situation. But having insight into commitment that you make here uh, can be rewarding, even though it's a heavy responsibility, 
when you see the way the gifts are playing out here, whether that's in the physical structure here, the mission work that the church is a part of, or the, the children's laughing, the community of people here all interacting together. When you see that and you understand what that's, how that's possible, that's reassuring. I appreciate that all of you are reconsidering generosity in your own lives and how it affects the church here, how it plays out in your commitment here. And I hope that you are able to recognize all the benefit the church is making the world here, both locally and globally, and that you see that as reassuring that your commitment here in your gifts, your prayers, your presence, and your service is an important part of the kingdom. So I'm going to ask Mark to come up. He's going to place this box down front for us. If you haven't already taken the time to do so, please take out your estimate of giving cards. <laughs> Fill it out as much as you're able to do so. And in a moment, we'll have time to come up and place these, those cards in the box. So if you're with us for the first time today, um, sorry, um, you know, just because we're going to invite all of our members, all, everybody who calls this your church home to come forward uh, and to place your estimate of giving in the box. Um, and after everybody's had that opportunity to do so, um, we'll close the box and bring it up to the altar um, and ask God to, to bless that and to do whatever God wants to do with that. Uh, Andy did that um, on Friday night. We'll do that here. Uh, we'll do it again at the next service. Um, and sometimes the kids bring them up. Sometimes you come up as a family. Whatever works for you, uh, please do. Um, and it'll take as long as it takes as folks come up to do this. Um, Chantel and I will, will come and lead with that. Um, we filled ours out. It's, it's pretty easy. Um, so in, in terms of knowing, knowing what to give, you just you ask the Lord. Um, and we invite you if, you, if you haven't looked on the back of that, to take a step, we invite you to do that. To take a step wherever the Lord is leading you. Um, simply take a step at this time. We invite you to come. Will you come now? You want 
Let's pray together. Lord, these commitments, these estimates of giving, these are ways that we say we love you, we trust you, we look forward to what you are going to do in 2018. We trust you with it all. We pray that you would take these commitments and bless these families. Bless their finances, Lord. Bless their homes. Let their cars run extra long and extra well and uh, their kids um, get scholarships to college and um, just everything around them, Lord. Show them that you are with them, that you make all things work together for good for those of us who love you, and we do. So we trust you with it all. We thank you for it all. And we ask your blessings on this moment and on these families and with these gifts that are meant to glorify you and bring your heaven to earth as you intend. In Jesus' mighty name, and all who agree, say amen, amen. amen.